Hello. Thank you for joining me and listening in on this podcast where I interview guests on all things education. My guests will share stories about their educational background, their views on teaching and learning, and where they see education heading. I interview teachers, edtech founders, higher ed folks, and more. I hope you enjoy the show. This is Nati Rodriguez, and I have Dr. Karen Coven as my guest today. Uh, Karen is founder of Language Word. Thank you, Karen, for joining us. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Well, I wanted to start with asking you about Language Bird. What is it, and how did you get started? Okay, well, Language Bird is online, live, one to one foreign language courses and lessons with native speakers via video chat. So it's the most personalized um, way to learn a language. Uh, you get a little bit of a cultural experience and um, you create a relationship with a native speaker who teaches you their language and culture. Um, and you asked how, uh, how it got started and really it originated um, from my experiences as a school administrator. Um, my goal was to get all of my students into college um, in order to get into colleges and the best ones, you need to take your foreign language requirement and take it as far as you possibly can as a high school student. So that would be four full years of foreign language. And in lots of schools, including my own at the time, you weren't able to take multiple levels of a language because of you know budget, space, size of the school, or perhaps there weren't languages available that you wanted to take. Maybe you only had the choice of Spanish or just Spanish and French. So some of my students started taking online classes in order to um, have a variety of languages to choose from, but also more flexibility in their time and to be able to take higher levels and make more room in their schedule um, by taking the foreign language course outside of the school day. And what I noticed was in a lot of programs online, um, students were not as engaged and even very good students with well intentions that were excited to learn another language they weren't engaged in the class because there was nobody to speak to. So it was all software. And I wanted to create something that was about people connecting. It was about making connections, about um, having that cultural experience that I explained, um, a more of a worldview and a real connection with somebody who spoke the language that, so that they could see the value of being bilingual. Um, so that's where Language Bird originated from. It was, what if I could connect people all over the world, teachers, find the best teachers that weren't concerned about how they could get to my school, that could pick their schedules, that could decide when they wanted to work, and also that they wanted to work with high school students or the population that they wanted to work with? And um, what if they could connect via video chat and have a relationship that way and learn from each other? So that's the way that it started. That's great. Um, and one of the things that you touched on was um, seeing that this this was a, a need in the school that you were working at. Can you talk a little bit about 
more about that school? Yeah, sure. Um, I co-founded High Tech Los Angeles, which was which is um, a California distinguished school. It's a blue ribbon school, one of the top charter schools in California. As I mentioned, uh, one of my primary goals there was to make sure that all of our students had the opportunity to go to a four-year college. And so as a part of that and a part of our model, um, we were focused on subjects other than foreign language because we were really a a technology-based school. What that meant was we had a college prep curriculum, but focused on math, sciences, robotics, um, digital arts. And so the emphasis wasn't as much on foreign language, not to mention the fact that where it's situated, most of the population of our students um, was already bilingual. So they already spoke Spanish at home um, or Korean at home, uh, Armenian, Russian, whatever, what have you. So um, we didn't focus as much on the language. Um, And what we offered was Spanish. um, And we offered two levels of Spanish and then alternated a third year because of our space, like the actual physical space of the school, our size, which is only about 400 students, you know, smaller schools can't afford to offer so many different options or have different teachers just hanging around or teaching just, you know, five or six kids that want to learn French. And I find a lot of schools are like that, whether they be in rural areas or smaller uh, specialty private schools. So there's a lot of reason uh, why schools today, you know, may focus on one thing, but not as much on the other, whether it be budgetary space, um, you know, facility wise. Um, and a number of reasons. So that's what the school is like. It's not that we didn't value it. It's just you have to make certain choices uh, when you're a school leader as to what you're going to emphasize. And um, we just couldn't fit the language in there as well as all the other things that we had. Okay. Uh, so Karen, you were talking about uh, your experience founding High Tech High and um, how you were working with students and that led to Language Bird. Uh, can you tell me a little bit uh, more about what it was like to found the school and then we'll circle back to to found to language bird if that's okay with you. Yeah, of course. What it was like to found a school. Well, as a co-founder, I have to say, and at the time as a um, very young, new educator, I had only been teaching for about four years. Um, I had gotten a certificate in college counseling at UCLA. Um, I knew that I really wanted to work with high school students, um, but I didn't know exactly to what capacity or if I wanted to continue teaching and doing things like the newspaper and the yearbook and all those kinds of activities at the school. And then sort of the opportunity came up. There's a woman named Roberta Weintraub, who's since become a big mentor of mine, very close uh, friend, um, like a mother or grandmother figure to me now that we've known each other for almost 20 years. But um, she is a school starter. And so we really took her lead and she picked um, the location. She picked the uh, first few members. So Roberta picked uh, three of us to go in with her and start this new school. And it was really fun. It was, it was a great experience. Um, and it was exactly what I wanted because what I was missing or trying to figure out about my work and teaching at a big comprehensive high school was um, I was really missing a collaboration uh, between teachers and between you know integrating different subjects. And I was looking for things like sharing 
sharing information about students and teaching in general as a teacher that had under five years of experience, you know, looking for mentors and the like. And so I was looking for, you know, a community to build, but I also had, I felt a lot of ideas and a lot of things that I wanted to try. And um, a charter school is a great place to do that. It's, you know, become known, and this was 20 years ago, but, you know, charter schools are really known for innovation and trying new things. Um, and that was really interesting and very exciting to me to sort of learn as you went and, you know, try things, have kids try things, see how, you know, resilient they are and also how they can contribute to forming their school. Um, it was really neat. I mean, for example, the first year, that um, we opened the school, I think that we changed our bell schedule like three or four different times. That was within the first few weeks. So, you know, some schools talk about it for years and never change it. And we just thought this isn't, this isn't right for us, or this isn't working. Let's try this or that. And what we found was that um, the more open we were with the kids about it, like, hey, we're trying new things. And, you know, today, instead, you're going to go to this class. They were like, okay, we can do that. You know, so they understood that they were also part of a little bit of an experiment. Um, but the good thing about that is that we never kept anything that didn't work. So when you have systems for a long time that are just in place, sometimes things get stagnant and people get afraid of change. And um, what I learned, I think, most from that environment um, and from being a startup uh, school and the charter world is that um, collaboration is key, learning from others, including going to visit other schools and learning um, about what other schools were doing successfully is key, uh, working together um, collaboratively, students, teachers, parents, and experimenting, trying something and not being afraid to fail at it. And those are all, um, you know, very uh, entrepreneurial kind of traits. So it's kind of unique to see the that sort of, I guess, energy in public schools. Really, they, they are modeled based on a, a model from long ago, and many schools just never change. And so that was really refreshing to me to be able to change things as we wanted and as we grew too, because we grew, you know, to be over 25, you know, faculty members, teachers, and um, it, our mission and who we were and that collaboration really drove who we hired and who stayed around because they had to be in it too. So they had to buy into our mission and our vision. And so we, we really created like a family. That's great. A lot of what you're saying reminds me of the kind of the personality, the skills and the flexibility that is required when you're when you're launching something new. Uh-huh. And yes. how did you know that that it was the right time to move on to to language word and I'm not sure if you have moved on completely from PyTech High, but um, how did you know you were ready for that transition? And then how did some of those uh, experiences from founding a school translate into this new venture you're starting? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I have moved on, except for the fact that, like I just said, you know, we're like family. So this past week, I had dinner with my other two, two co-founders. Tomorrow, I'm having breakfast with Roberta. So we're all super connected. We always always will be because the experience that we had in building that school was honestly just um, a really special um, experience together. I think that I knew personally that it was, um, and it's always a personal thing, that it was time to look for the next thing when I just felt like 
you know, we had created something that was going on its own and that things and systems that we had created were working really well. And I had, I had certain initially, and in the first few years, had certain visions of things that I wanted to do, uh, like improve and, and create an internship program. You know, I, I wanted to learn more about college counseling, and I got to do that for many, many years. Um, I went through graduate school while I was there. So at every step of the way, I always felt challenged. And then I think there was a certain point where... It wasn't that I was bored in my work every day. It was just I was looking forward to and I really missed the days where it was sort of every day there was something new, a new challenge, a problem to fix. And while we still had a little bit of that, it didn't feel as urgent and as exciting. Um, And it sounds funny because it's like, yeah, I I wanted to create more problems for myself, which I definitely have done in some some respects. (laughs) But it's about challenges and it's about learning, right? So for me, what drives me is about learning different things. And I'm a lifelong learner. And I feel like what was exciting to me about my idea to have an online school for foreign language was that there were a lot of things that I didn't know about at all. Um, So how to do it technologically, how to form it. Um, And I really felt like, and I feel like online learning, you know, is the next frontier. It's, it's actually here already. So very much so. So I think in the K to 12 space, it's just sort of really emerging um, and there's a lot of things to figure out about it. But I feel like in the future, it's where all the new stuff is going to be. Um, and so that's where I want to be, where new stuff is and solving problems and, you know, creating new problems and creating something um, for kids and parents. And now we work with adults, you know, uh, college students or, or adults who want to learn a foreign language too. But, you know, helping people solve the problem of how do I get this done in the limited, you know, amount of time with a busy schedule that's not impersonal and how technology now is becoming more personal. So I think that answers probably your question. I don't know if I missed something, but that's sort of what um, drew me to leave and what excites me about going forward. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And uh, how are you finding, how do you match students and their, um, I don't know, are they teachers, instructors, mentors? I'm not sure what you, how you label them, but how do you figure out what the match is? Yeah, good question. So we have teachers. Um, They are located all over the world. Um, First and foremost, students, high school students especially, have very scheduled time, right? They're usually in school from eight until four. They're, you know, have a sport that they do or drama or something like that. So they usually have very limited time unless they're homeschooled or there's some other special situation or perhaps over the summer. So what we have to do is we have to first cater to their schedule um, and figure out, you know, when do they want to take their lessons? And then I have to find teachers or a teacher of ours that is available during that time. So We'll have to uh, first search for, you know, our bank of teachers that is available for that language that time. And then um, usually uh, either in our enrollment sheet or in a conversation that I have with um, parents before the student enrolls, we take a little bit of information about the student, about their level, their comfort with the language, if they're a beginner or if they have particular interests and, and what their hobbies are, things like that. And I try to match them up with the 
teacher that I think might, you know, be um, somebody that they have things in common with. It usually works. It usually works. I mean, I haven't had any students switch teachers, but I have had some students have just really, really exceptional, very close, you know, relationships with their teachers um, because they always meet with the same teacher every time uh, online. Um, so they they build a rapport with them. But yeah, we, we do the best that we can to try to match them up according to schedule and interest. Got it. And typically, how long are these classes? Does it sort of map onto the uh, similar schedule as they would be taking in their regular school? Or is it accelerated longer? What, what does that look like? Um, let's see. In terms of during the day or times during the day, some students take it with Within their daily schedule, we can work around that. So if a school, for instance, has period three where the student can go into a lab and meet with one of our teachers, we can work with that. Um, a lot of students just do it from home at night, on the weekends, early mornings. In terms of schedule, like a semester or a year-long schedule, our lessons, because they're one-to-one, they're expedited, they're accelerated. You learn best really at anything. I don't know if you've ever had a dance class or a trainer or you know um, any other type of training. But when you're working with somebody one-to-one, that's the most personalized and fastest way to learn. So our program is accelerated. It's, um, or tutoring, you know, uh, many people are aware of tutoring, right? You're in a classroom setting. That's a good example. You're in a classroom setting. And even with the best teachers, sometimes you need more help with math, or you need somebody to sit down with you and explain it in a different way. And one-to-one is the, the best way to quickly learn that. So our courses are 24 uh, one-hour lessons to get credit for a full year of high school foreign language. So it's quite fast. Students have to really be on when they're with their teacher. It's mostly focused on uh, the spoken language and speaking and practicing speaking and listening when they're with their teacher. And then on their own, they have a, a homework to do. So an hour or so of homework to do on their own, which would be studying from their online textbook or practicing the grammar that they learned with their instructor um, or doing some writing on their own. But when they're meeting with the teacher, it's primarily speaking. And uh, yeah, so most of our students in the case that they would take two lessons a week and then have a few hours of study in between, in that case, they would take about what's a traditional school semester to finish a full year. So if they were taking two lessons a week, they'd finish a full year in 12 weeks. So that's how the timing kind of works. Does that answer your question? I think that's what you asked. And so how long have you been, has this program been in place at this point? I started it back in 2015. So it's been just over three years now. Last year in 2017, we were accredited by the Western Association of Schools and Colleges, WASC. Congratulations. And the courses are also in Yeah, thanks. It's actually kind of a neat neat process because when you go through accreditation, um, it's really 
in order. You were talking about before about startups and it's really like a business plan for schools. So it's kind of neat that they make you sit down and sort of outline all this, but also a plan for how you're going to grow in the future. And that part was most valuable to me to think about like what's coming next um, and to set some goals that other people hold you accountable for. So that's what accreditation essentially is. So we have our WASC accreditation and right now um, we're getting our advanced ed accreditation. And as I mentioned, all of our courses are NCAA approved, which was really important to me because I'm an athlete. Um, I know that there are a lot of athletes out there, student athletes that have very busy schedules uh, and need to take some of their courses in their regular school day outside of the school day, or they travel um, for competitions and such. And foreign language is not something you can just read. So history, if you're studying it online, there's great videos, there's all kinds of things you can read. There's many, many resources, lectures online you can listen to. Um, and so you can really, you know, delve into a subject like that. But when you're talking about language, if you're a student who travels a bit, because you're a competitive skier or tennis player, or ice skater, or whatever it might be, you really need somebody to be able to talk to you, uh, communicate with you and teach you even when you're in Sarajevo or Japan or South America. So, so we, we like to work with um, athletes. Uh, we work also with um, kids that are in the entertainment business, dance, performance, et cetera. And, it, and it's fun to get to know these kids and know their stories and to hear like all kinds of profiles of what kind of students are out there. It's just really neat. That's great. That's, it's uh, great that this opportunity is available to them. Um, I, I work with students and um, I think uh, most of them are not very happy with their language experience in school, but they, they all know they have to take it. And it's always a challenge to bring, to, to make it more fun and enjoyable for them. So I think that you're doing yeah. something great for, for students that need a different type of way of learning that's still personalized and accommodates their, their schedule and their interests. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's the goal. That's the goal. Yeah. You, you totally get it. Has anything, uh, anything surprised you since you've been on this journey for now almost three years, anything that you, that you didn't expect or any changes that you've made since you're, since you first got started that you'd like to share? Yeah. Well, I was just reflecting today, actually, just before we got on, um, this interview call that all the time, and, and this is what I was referring to earlier about learning that, that all the time I find that each time I do something, I do it kind of a a little bit better and I and I and I kind of like look back and I'm like why did I do that that last time that was so much harder you know and you just sort of figure out things a little bit more as you go along and you figure out maybe the word's not shortcuts but you figure out um, what works best and the best technology to use and a lot of it's by trial and error I guess is what I'm saying so I try not to be very hard on myself when I'm trying something and it just doesn't work because then I can just chalk it up to, well, you know, wasn't that funny way back when, when I thought that this was going to work and actually we found this and it's, it's just really about problem solving and trying to make things easier. And so I think there's a lot of uh, growth <laughs> that's possible. Um, and so I'd say some of the things that surprised me is um, just how much there is to learn. Because for me, coming from um, a school background, an administrative background, and a teaching background, 
Um, I feel like I'm super prepared to train teachers, to write curriculum, to talk to parents and students, to understand what students need in order to get into college, um, all of that. So the school stuff is, you know, really second nature to me. The business part and the tech part are parts that are new to me. So I'm constantly being challenged, whether it's by you know, learning about social media or, and which constantly is changing or marketing or, um, you know, going up and setting out in some conferences, you know, my first booth to exhibit and how, how you do that. Because, you know, I consider myself an educator, not a salesperson, you know, and there's a little danger in that because you have to wear so many hats when you're starting something new and you've got to uh, feel confident about, you know, I'm, I'm leading with my heart, with as much knowledge as I have. I'm consulting other experts. Um, and I know, uh, and the biggest, biggest part, uh, Nati, I think, is that if you really know that what you have or what you're providing is really high quality, that you're helping people, that people love what you're doing or what they're receiving from you, the product or the course, and the teachers are happy and the people interacting with you are happy, then it makes all of the other things a little bit easier, setbacks a little bit easier. Um, some surprises, some other surprises have been, you know, pushbacks that I've had from organizations that, you know, try to um, prohibit students from taking courses or schools that say, you know, you have to do it our way, you have to fit in our box. When in fact, you know, parents and students are need to advocate for themselves. And if something's not working for them, I don't know if you've experienced this while working with students individually um, in, in a tutoring setting or in a teaching setting, but if something's not working for a student, you've got to change it. Um, if they can't learn in a class of 30, then you've got to find them smaller classes or more individualized attention or more tutoring or whatever it might be. So I think parents and students really need to advocate more for themselves. And um, I'm happy sometimes to see that, to see parents come in and, and say, you know what, my daughter wants to take Italian and I'm going to support her with that. Her school doesn't offer it and they want us to take the language that they have at their school because they say they have a language and she needs to take whatever they're offering there. But, you know, she's an A student, she's a, a good student, she's an athlete, she's an artist, whatever it is. And, you know, I want to support her, her initiative and her drive to learn this other language. And so I'm going to find it. And, you know, they can say what they want, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to let her explore her interests or I'm going to fight them and, you know, explain you're accredited too, you know, that sort of thing. So some surprises come with, you know, bureaucratic pushback and that even though we're accredited, um, NCAA approved that some organizations, you know, want to stop us from teaching. Yeah, that's a... Uh... That's interesting because um, in the end, I, I I think the the goal is to have students have you know the best educational experience they can that is personalized and helps them discover their own talents and passions and um, to hear that uh, the institution that's supposed to be you know that are tasked with creating these environments are not supportive of that um, is uh, 
you know, um, sad to hear, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe we just lose sight of that in all of the bureaucracy. Yeah, I think that maybe that's a little bit it is, you know, too many people to push through. And when you're pushing a lot of people through, if you start making a lot of exceptions, people feel like it's going to get out of control and that there's going to be lack of quality control or something like that. But I do think that um, very near in the future, School districts, schools, universities are really going to have to think very carefully um, about what they're offering students, um, about what else is out there. I think the competitive landscape for offering students what they need is getting bigger and bigger. And technology, as I mentioned before, offers students more opportunities to go elsewhere. And so just like in business, you know, there's competition for who's going to be teaching this best and students are going to have choices. Um, and so if schools, you know, um, are not staying up to date with technology, if schools aren't teaching, you know, with a, with a, I feel with a, a teaching philosophy bent on more project-based learning, more practical applications. I mean, Nati, you know, kids can look up anything on their phones today. Yes. So the old days, you know, it's cliche, uh, and I've heard it a lot in education. People say this a lot that, you know, the days of students, you know, memorizing things, you know, and, and memorizing all these dates and everything are, are long past. You know, they can look them up within a second. And I partially agree with that because I think that we need to keep in mind that this information now is literally at our fingertips. I do think some of those skills are really good to still learn memorization and, you know, reciting things and, you know, flexing those muscles in our mind. But um, I, I really think in the future, as we have more and more information gathered, you know, students need to be communicators and problem solvers and writers um, and their curriculum will need to reflect that. So, you know, all the antiquated uh, curriculum that teachers are holding onto in their classrooms for 40 years, you know, they really need to th rethink that because it's a different student. It's a different parent. The parents expect it too. The parents work and they, you know, are on computers all day and they're involved in the, you know, digital age. So we have to, you know, listen to parents too. I completely agree. Yes. One of the things that I really like about the format of Language Bird is that it does add this uh, personal relationship with someone. Uh, I think, as you mentioned, everything can be accessed online and they can, they have the information at their fingertips, but what's going to actually immerse them in this uh, experience of learning a language is going to be that personal connection to someone. Um, and I think that technology does provide an opportunity for that to happen on an individual basis, um, wherever the student is. So that's great. Yeah, I, I hope so. <laughs> What is one challenge or problem you're facing now with Language Bird? What's keeping you up at night? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what's keeping me up at night right now. Well, there are a couple of things, but I'll just talk about one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, okay. So one of the things is always which way we're going to go with technology, because as soon as you implement some sort of technology, and this is one thing that I learned from working at High Tech High is that as soon as you implement a technology, it's um, almost, you know, out of date. So 
Um, there's new things all the time and better ways of doing things. And we just recently did a major update to our website, which is great. Um, and it took a while and I'm really proud of that. It looks awesome. And it's, it's up to date, you know, like every couple of years, the looks of things change, fashion, websites, et cetera. So that was really great. And the next step is, you know, to create more, um, automation so that now we're getting so many students, we want them to be able to pick their own schedule so that they don't have to schedule through one of our staff members that, that they go on our website and they, they schedule through that. Um, they pick their teacher. I think one of the struggles with it is number one, trying to figure out what technology works for us best. Um, and number two, from the educator standpoint, because I'm going to let the tech people figure that out, um, but from the educator standpoint, thinking about the technology flow for students. So what I'm referencing is when they arrive on your website, what happens once they arrive on your website and they decide to enroll in a class, then what happens um, and how is their process made most easy? How are they given access to their textbook? How are they given access to our online resource library? How are they connected with their teacher? All of those bits and pieces that link together. And so I have a vision, you know, for how I want that to happen. Um, but uh, I don't think that platform is going to happen all at once. And so as a company that's growing, but in its starting phases, you kind of have to pick what's most important to you. And then the other educational part is thinking about that user experience that I described. And what happens when, let's say, a student or a parent starts picking their teacher, right? So I've been matching students and teachers together based on, you know, my recommendations and the students' availability. But what happens when you put a teacher profile on a website and then the student or parent is picking? And I guess some of my worries that are not tested yet are, you know, is everybody going to be picking the same teacher because they have the best picture? Or, you know, <laughs> what, what might it be, you know, rather than, you know, that they're really... A, a top, like really awesome teacher, you know? So that's one of my, my thoughts about it, but the technology is always growing, improving, changing. So you have to change your business if it's online or your, your program to, to match the technology and then how it affects your customer, your student in this case. So you want to pick the right thing so that they have the experience that you want them to have. Got it. Got it. And what's your goal for language bird in the next year or two? Where do you see it? Or is there one particular initiative that you're focused on for this year or next year? How do you plan out which which problem to prioritize and attack? <laughs> That's a really good question because there are so many things right now. And I'm a person who is really drawn to a lot of things at once. You know, I like having a lot of balls in the air. So that's that's kind of fun for me. And there's a lot of groups that I really like um, to be able to reach and to access in order to um, have them use uh, language bird. And I think that there, there are specific student groups that in the next year, I'd really like to target. I'll name just a few of them. Um, number one, um, I'd like to be able to reach out to more rural schools, um, schools that are located in areas where there's not a teacher or language teacher that can get to their school um, to be able to offer languages. We currently offer 11 foreign languages, which is more than any school that I know. 
<laughs> and so um, the possibility for a school that's in a remote area to offer 11 languages and let their students choose here, here's a menu of any world language you'd like to know and, and allow them to choose. I really think that that ability for a small school, let's say in a rural district or just a small school period, um, allows them to add, you know, probably 10 more classes to their curriculum. That's fantastic. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it gives their students, you know, a, a more worldly point of view too, um, that they would connect with somebody that's, you know, in another country um, or, or living in another city. Um, I think that that's really neat, especially um, for kids that perhaps don't travel or don't get to travel. We all know that, I don't know, as kids, you know, parents don't want to take kids too far. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So, so, you know, the travel thing, um, you know, it's sort of like engaging with somebody else um, and, and having that teacher-student relationship with them online, um, learning about their culture like that is sort of like traveling abroad without, you know, having a passport or getting on a plane. So that's one initiative is I like to reach out to smaller schools and rural schools to offer them um, the opportunity to offer more to their students. I mentioned athletes. There's a lot of athletes out there that also are looking for something that's NCAA approved um, that fits into their travel schedule. And so I'm interested in that. And then there's a really other interesting group um, of teens that I think um, really could use some help um, would be um, adolescents who are in treatment programs. So students who have addictions, um, who have eating disorders um, and other problems or psychological problems that are being treated. Um, their parents have taken them out of school um, and they've been put in a facility and at that facility, they don't want to fall also behind. So in addition to, you know, sort of the stigma of being taken out of their school, that they'd also come back and be behind would be a lot of extra pressure on a kid that's having a hard time. Yes. So, so to be able to provide them with their foreign language courses that even after they leave a treatment center, you know, they can continue them at home because it doesn't matter their location. So I'd like to reach out to help um, some more of those students as well. And then another goal um, that we have is um, to increase our you know, tutoring and test prep, not all students perhaps can take or their school already offers the language that they want, but they might need tutoring um, or help in test prep for the SAT subject tests or the AP exams. And then we have another category, which is um, conversational lessons. So we um, are expanding also to help adults. So adults who want travel Italian or travel French um, that are going on a trip that want, you know, 12 or 24 lessons from somebody before they get there. And also businesses that are also, of course, expanding internationally. And what adults really like about our classes is that it's not just conversation. Um, and they like that we're accredited and that we're based on a curriculum. Because believe it or not, a lot of adults really like the idea of 
having homework, you know, being accountable, um, because they really want, you know, they're passionate about learning it, and they want to learn it fast. So they, they want a curriculum, they want a textbook, and they also want the flexibility in their schedule, if they're an executive or a busy mom, um, or whatever it might be to say, I want my lessons at 9am on a Saturday, or whatever fits into their travel schedule. So we're expanding in a few different ways. And I think it's really exciting. It's really fun to to, for me to meet sort of these people that are coming um, across our path that want to learn different languages and for the variety of different reasons that they come from, uh, come for, it's just, it's really fun. That's great. It's, it sounds like a, an amazing uh, journey. And uh, I really like hearing from kind of the, the customer experience perspective. And uh, it's interesting to, to see how many people want to learn languages and for the different reasons that you mentioned. I know I see a lot of uh, across different sites, um, the need for Spanish teachers. <laughs> and it's all of all ages, right? It's like a two-year-old that's in a um, you know, yeah, and some kind of immersion program to an adult who is traveling abroad and wants to prepare for that trip. So um, that's great that you'll be able to cover all of those different um, needs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the goal for sure. Um, so I know we're getting to the end of our hour, Karen, and I just want to ask you, are there any other projects that you're working on that you'd like to share about? Yeah, I guess uh, one project that we have going um, right now that we've started is our chirp room chat rooms. And they're just at the very beginning, but basically they were started from a, a parent of a, of homeschooled twins who said, um, we really love your courses. And um, I love that my daughters are speaking to someone in Spain and, and learning how to speak. And it's fantastic, but they're homeschooled. And we like a little bit of a classroom experience as well. And I thought, well, could we do that? I, you know, I really want to keep everything one-to-one because I really feel that's the best, most effective way to work, uh, you know, to, to work and to, to study. And so I thought about it a little bit and um, we decided to try out and we're implementing these chirp room chat rooms. So right now they're just for teenagers. They're just for high school students, ages 12 to 18. And we have four different languages, um, French, Italian, German, and Spanish. And we have them at various times uh, during the week, mostly after school and on the weekends. And they're free. They're totally free for um, any high school students to sign up for um, and they work just like a little classroom. They enter um, a conference room, a video chat room, um, and they can all see each other and they can raise their hands and they can ask questions in the chat box. And they're there to practice um, speaking because a lot of students are in 20 to 30 person classrooms and perhaps good students interested in the language. But, you know, you've got a 50 minute to an hour and a half long period um, with that many students in the class. You don't get to practice very much speaking with a native speaker. And so we have one of our instructors that's in the chat room with them, um, the chirp room, and um, and they get to do that. They just chirp away. <laughs> so the teacher will lead them in a, in a conversation, um, bring up a scenario, something that's, uh, you know, interesting to them, like ordering, you know, at a restaurant and this is your menu order for me, you know, getting around or asking for directions, introducing themselves. 
um, so that they get the practice uh, of speaking. And so they're in a safe environment. It's all teenagers and moderated by an adult. And they just can hop in there and and practice speaking. So that's a service that we currently offer that's free to any students, no matter where they are, if they're enrolled in our programs or not. Um, And so that's one one thing that I'm excited about is maintaining some of those chirp rooms and and just having them available for, for students and giving back to schools that way. Because schools, I know, are sometimes in a hard place where they can't offer um, a lot of individual instruction or they can't offer too much um, help with students being able to speak a lot in a classroom. So this gives them another opportunity that they can offer as extra credit in a language class or just, you know, through their PTAs, you know, tell parents that this exists. If somebody needs tutoring or more help, they can hop in there and ask questions. And so I'm excited about that. And I hope that in the future, because now adults are asking for them, um, that maybe we'd expand to that and to other languages as well. But yeah, right now, anybody can sign up um, on our website for French, German, Italian, or Spanish. This is great. One, I love the name. (laughs) You love that? (laughs) Yes, I really like the name. And um, I, you know, it's, it's great that you um, were responsive to this parent, right? Somebody gave an idea and you're trying it out like, like startups do. And this might take you on a completely different uh, path. And it's, you're adding value to the customer, right? And to people that um, could become um, language bird uh, users. Yeah, totally. Totally. It's so important. I didn't know that anyone... (laughs) I didn't know that anyone could sign up, so I'll definitely pass this along to my students. I think it's a great way for them to practice their Spanish. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and yeah, and your and your point um, of um, opening opening up to suggestions um, from your customers, students, parents, whatever it may be, um, in your business or school. You know, a lot of times we. Um, we, we forget that you, you really have to listen to them. Schools are businesses too, you know, schools, even, you know, public schools, private schools, whatever it may be, you know, you, you want to make sure people are happy when they're happy, they feel safe, they're getting educated, um, they're happy sending their kids, they trust you, um, et cetera. So it's important to listen to them, I think. Um, but more so than that, like you mentioned, you know, they come up with ideas for what they want or what they need that would be foolish not to listen to. So I always try to survey, um, even though it's a pain sometimes to get them to participate. Sometimes you have to call and ask um, rather than having somebody follow a link, but always to follow up, you know, with a call and to survey and see what people think or what they need or what they would add and not be afraid of, um, how would you say it? Not be afraid of suggestions, not take them personally, like that you're not offering enough, you know, to take them as, as suggestions for something you can further implement, I think is, um, a really good thing to do in all schools. Yes. Yes. Uh, someone once told me that, uh, you know, you, you design a a product initially and your customer will guide you on where to go next. (laughs) Yeah. That's a really good way to say it. For sure. Yeah, I agree. Okay, Karen, is there uh, anything else that you'd like to add or, um, and also where can people find you? Where can people find me? Um, <laughs> let's see, they can connect to me um, on our website, um, which is uh, languagebird.com. They can uh, connect to me on LinkedIn and maybe you can provide my LinkedIn link. Yes. 
And let's see, you could always call Language Bird. Uh, we have a cute phone number. Are you ready for this? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can call Language Bird at 844-700-BIRD. 844-700-BIRD. I love it. And when you, <laughs> and when you, when you listen to um, the prompt or the message, it will tell you, I think it's extension one is to reach me directly. So you can phone me that way to ask any questions that you might need. Great. Thank you so much for your time, Karen. This has been great. Thank you. Thanks so much. I love this. It was great having the conversation with you. Thanks again for listening. This is Nati Rodriguez, and I leave you with my favorite quote by Albert Einstein. The significant problems we face today cannot be solved at the same level of thinking we were at when we created them.